Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. If you're working in the energy transition, you'll be hearing more and more about hydrogen and the role it can play in decarbonizing a world that will be increasingly electrified. As you may know, most hydrogen today is produced from natural gas with carbon dioxide being emitted into the atmosphere. And this type of hydrogen is commonly used in refineries and for ammonia production. So that's dirty hydrogen, which is mainly used today. Clean hydrogen, on the other hand, has two main varieties, blue, which is produced from natural gas, but with the carbon emissions being captured and stored underground, or green, which is produced from electrolysis of water powered by renewable electricity. And today we'll be talking with one of the world's leading manufacturers of electrolyzers, which helped to produce green hydrogen, Norwegian company Nell Hydrogen. We'll be exploring what life is like for a company like Nell, given the rapidly rising interest in hydrogen and their activities, plans, and views on the future. So let's say hello to my guest, Raluca Leodianu, Vice President of Business Development at Nell Hydrogen. Hello, Raluca. Hi, and thank you for having me here. Thanks for joining. Um, Raluca, while some of our listeners may be immersed in the world of hydrogen, many of our listeners won't be that close to the world of hydrogen and might not have heard of Nell. Um, so can you give us an elevator pitch for Nell Hydrogen? Sure. Um, Nell actually stands for Norsk Electrolyse, which means Norwegian Electrolysis. Uh, and it was started more than 19 years ago in uh, 1927 uh, as part of Norsk Hydro. Uh, now we are a standalone company, pure play hydrogen tech company. We're listed on the Oslo Stock Exchange. Um, we have manufacturing facilities in uh, Norway, Denmark, and the US, uh, but we sell throughout the globe. Uh, and we are a leading electrolyzer company and hydrogen refueling stations manufacturer. In fact, and the largest size. Yes. Can you give us an idea of scale, Raluca? You know, roughly how many employees or turnover or something that will help our listeners understand how, how big or small Nell is? We are, I don't know what's the exact number now. I think we're about 400 uh, employees with a plan to add another 100 employees this year um, and uh, growing rapidly. I mean, the whole space is rather small if you think of. Uh, mm green hydrogen and refueling stations, but is uh, is deemed to grow very fast. Yeah, okay. And it, I think it's fascinating that you've been, hydrogen to some people's eyes is new, but you've been around, the company's been around for 90 years. Uh, tell us a bit about what, you know, one or two highlights of what Nell's done in those 90 years of flagship project or, uh, yeah, a bit about your heritage. Yes, so so if you think uh, in the past, actually um, green hydrogen was used for ammonia in the past. Um, and it was, I think in the 50s that the gas took over as the main uh, source of producing hydrogen. Uh, so, so if you think of uh, large projects that we have done, uh, the latest we decommissioned was in the 90s and that was 135 megawatt uh, installation in Norway. 
Uh, more recent installations are much smaller. Uh, however, we do have also bigger ones. Uh, from about eight years ago, we installed a 25 megawatt uh, plant in Malaysia. Okay. So yeah, I think that's fascinating. This sector is new, but it's not new. <laughs> it's it's coming again. It's t it had a time before natural gas. It then shrank a little bit as natural gas took over in producing hydrogen uh, or the dominant source, and now it's it's rising again. Um, so where in the hydrogen value chain does does Nell play, and where does Nell not play? Uh, Give us a feel of where you focus your activities. We are a technology manufacturer, so that's our focus. Um, we typically do not uh, own and operate. We do not invest uh, in the projects. Um, also, we do not do civil works. So, so we we offer um, turnkey solutions, uh, and we are the the manufacturing uh, provider. Yeah. Okay. So you're providing the equipment. Um, you mentioned earlier hydrogen refueling stations so i guess you're doing more than just the electrolyzer you're providing a bit more of a complete solution for your clients yes if you think we have installed i think more than 3500 um, uh, electrolyzer plants uh, throughout the globe uh, in maybe more than 80 countries uh, and we have installed more than 50 hydrogen refueling stations in about 13 countries mm. okay um, and presumably you're doing a lot of R&D or give us a feel for whether the technology is there, it's mature, you have to do only very incremental R&D and it's just a case of manufacturing and scaling up or is there still a big slice of R&D within now? We still do a lot of R&D and I think that's going to continue uh, and uh, we have different technologies in our portfolio at different uh, stages. I would say Alkaline is much more mature, so there we're just scaling up. Uh, PEM, uh, there's more R&D to increase the size of the cell stack, but also scaling up that will come very soon. On refueling stations, uh, we're going in the heavy duty uh, segment, and there there's more R&D to come. So. There is still plenty of R&D to, to take place, uh, which will uh, increase um, you know, the efficiency or reduce mm -hmm. the cost. But a lot of the technology is there. The building blocks are there. So we are ready yeah. to scale up. Yeah, okay. So scaling up and further improving the technology. Yes. Um, now, let's talk a bit about the the market and the huge buzz there is about hydrogen at the moment. Um, what's the balance in, that you see in the market between talk, and there's lots of talk about hydrogen, and action? So does, is that translating into loads and loads of projects, or is there a bit too much talk and not enough action? I think there is a balance, and, uh, and I see more and more things happening uh, just in the short three years that I've been with Nell. Um, mm. The whole industry is growing very fast. Um, and it's a really great uh, industry to be in. Uh, does good for the planet and is growing very fast and is going to help the economy. So that's uh, all positive. Um, however, the electrolyzer industry it is much smaller than you would imagine, uh, given all the talk. So around uh, half the percent to one percent of the hydrogen market is produced through electrolysis today, and 
just as an order of magnitude, I think in 2019, the estimated installed capacity was around 100 megawatts globally or even less than that. If you compare yeah. that with wind, uh, which was around 60 uh, gigawatts, and solar 115 gigawatts, so more than a thousand times <laughs> larger, um, yeah. you can see that electrolysis is yeah about 10, 20 years behind the solar and wind. Yeah, okay. So it's it's small both in terms of the hydrogen market, most of that hydrogen coming from, or the vast majority of that hydrogen coming from natural gas, and small in terms of the, the power market or the energy market. Um, but growing fast, yeah? Yes. So the Hydrogen Council uh, forecasts that the whole hydrogen market will grow seven to eight times in the next 30 years until 2050. And there are different uh, forecasts that say electrolysis is going to go from less than 1% to 20-30% of the market. So if you make the, the calculations, uh, electrolysis industry is going to grow 150 to 300 times in the next 30 years, which is and huge. Much, yeah, okay. And how, are you seeing that growth already? If you look at your order book, your pipeline, um, what does that without going into details, what does that look like? Is it an exponential curve? Is it taking time for that interest to translate into orders at the moment? Our pipeline is, is growing very fast year by year. We see projects are larger and larger. Uh, the average size of the project is increasing. We have more projects that are over 100 megawatts in the pipeline. Um, and we see more and more uh, companies uh, entering the industry on the customer side. Um, yes, there are some companies that don't really understand uh, the space yet, you can call them dreamers, but yep. in general there are a lot of serious players that are uh, that have clear plans and put down the money to invest. And do the, how do you manage that? Do the dreamers, as you call it, take a lot of time in terms, or do you have to filter out the dreamers quite early on in your business development and sales activities? Yeah, we do our best to, to understand uh, who's serious and, and who's not and dedicate the time to the right projects, but it's always a balancing act. Uh, sometimes yeah. the dreamers actually do get the projects done, so we, you should <laughs> You've got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then looking at sort of patterns and trends you see in your customer base, um, I like to think of the, well, the existing hydrogen market, ammonia production, refineries, and then the, the new applications, the mobility applications, uh, the, the power to gas applications. Uh, so what patterns do you see between those old worlds and those new worlds, or the, old the existing applications and the new applications? We see a change kind of in the type of customers. Uh, of course, because in the past, um, many of the electrolysis installations were in places where the gas network couldn't reach. And now uh, there is a, a vision of, uh, of power to X of having off-grid uh, installations directly connected to renewables. Um, today, most installations are grid connected. So, so there is a shift mm. from what drives uh, these installations and what's the, the inherent need for them. Um, there's also new customers, uh, like you mentioned, mm. with mobility, uh, which would have different scope requirements. 
in the past, the traditional industrial customers uh, did uh, part of the installation themselves in many cases. Um, now we see yeah. more and more customers asking for turnkey solutions. Okay, hence you being in the world of hydrogen refueling stations, because that gives you the ability to provide that turnkey, or at least from the equipment side, all of the equipment packaged up that a mobility customer would need. Yeah. Um, and the mobility applications, they'll be a bit smaller in capacity. You mentioned you're even getting 100 megawatt projects and above. Um, are you seeing the same interest across those smaller smaller electrolyzers and large electrolyzers? Do you expect it to go more to the large ones by capacity, if not by number? Mobility segment is coming uh, faster, but is indeed uh, smaller. And um, I mean, today the hydrogen refueling stations have a rather low utilization, and they are rather small. Yeah. They are increasing. Um, and if we think of heavy duty, the stations will be much larger. Will go to one, two ton per day, or, or even higher. Um, and um, there's also this concept of valleys, where there's a the use of the electrolyzer uh, across different industries, uh, power to X uh, and then uh, uh, transport, but also um, traditional uh, users uh, and also new users, uh, be it for ammonia or refinery for green hydrogen. What, what's one of the best examples you've seen of one of these hydrogen valleys or clusters where you get a mix of all these applications together? I think most are in the making. There's not so many that are mm. up and running already. Mm. Um, and what about locations or regions? You said at the beginning you're active globally. You've got customers around the world. You've got manufacturing in the US and in Europe. Um, most of our listeners in, are in Europe, but not all in Europe. So where geographically stands out to you in terms of interest? Or is it hard to pick one region? Are you getting really strong interest in lots of regions. We see a lot of, uh, of interest from Europe, to be honest, and especially with the, the Green Deal and the plan for the 40 gigawatts of uh, electrolysis in Europe um, with the IPSI uh, projects for funding these large projects. We see more and more happening in Europe. Uh, of course, there are things happening in other parts of the world, be it the US, Australia, Asia, um, but uh, I think the strongest uh, pool is in Europe. Do you think it will stay that way or do you think other regions over the next years will, will catch up um, or will it take more time do you think? I think I mean if you think of solar and wind and you see what China mm -hmm. has done there I think we should expect something similar at some point um, so there's going to be uh, some change, and China is one of the biggest uh, users of hydrogen today, mainly based on coal. Uh, mm. But uh, but uh, that's we don't see that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's as you say, looking what they've done with solar, looking what they're doing with electric vehicles. Um, yeah, they achieved scale to a degree that was difficult to achieve in other countries. So. I guess that's both an opportunity for you, but also a potential competitive more competition for now. Yes. Um, um, in terms of 
energy companies, so many of our listeners work for or work with utilities in, or oil and gas companies. So you mentioned before about your customers traditionally having been industrial customers, now mobility customers. Are you seeing utilities and I guess the, the new energy part of oil and gas companies? Um, are you seeing them dipping their toes in the water, jumping into the water, uh, knocking on your door lots, or just starting to understand more about this market? More and more is happening in that direction, yes. Uh, and you see especially the utilities that are strong on renewables, they have an interest to integrate with hydrogen. Um, it's uh, then you avoid curtailment, uh, you get new uses for uh, for old uh, renewables uh, parks, uh, or you have the ability to install in places where you wouldn't have because it was very, uh, very expensive to transport electricity uh, from there. Uh, so hydrogen opens up um, a lot of opportunities for renewables, which utilities uh, are uh, jumping on. And also oil and gas companies, they are uh, testing, especially the ones that have refineries or that are mm. in uh, downstream in hydrogen refueling stations. Um, they are, of course, very invested in this sector. And you mentioned earlier the off-grid projects directly coupled to renewables. So where you've got a renewable installation and you have an electrolyzer next to that and you're producing hydrogen directly from that renewable installation. Is that, are you seeing that translate to actual projects? Have you done projects like that? Uh, or do you see that as something that's coming in the next years more and more? We have done some projects uh, like that, but they were rather small. Um, and we see more and more uh, happening in that direction now. And I think, yeah. You can't envision uh, a world where electrolysis is uh, 20 to 30 percent of the hydrogen production and it's all grid connected. I just can't can't agree to that vision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you think, yeah, you get more and more electrolysis directly located, co-located with renewables. Um, yes. And then transmitting the transporting the energy by pipes rather than wires. In terms of we talked a bit about customers and the, the, the dreamers and the different types of customers that you're you're working with. Um, if you think about the questions or concerns you get from customers, one, I guess, is always money and they're trying to make the business case work. Um, but yeah, tell us a bit about what the questions you're hearing or the concerns or the barriers that are stopping projects going ahead. Is it just money or is there a confidence issues or technical assurances that are needed? What do you hear from customers? I think in order for, for customers to install new projects, they need a good business case. So I agree money is definitely a concern. Uh, so they would need some sort of funding, be it uh, grants, be it uh, CO2 prices. There's a lot of talk, but not much happening in that direction. Or even avoidance of grid fees, uh, because uh, a large share of the um, cost of producing hydrogen is electricity. So if you are grid connected, but you don't pay the grid fees, that would greatly benefit the business case. Yeah. Um, another thing that is kind of stopping uh, the development is the immature infrastructure. There's not much pipeline, uh, hydrogen pipelines uh, in the world. 
Uh, however, at least in Europe, there is a plan to develop that. Uh, there is a report that came out which, uh, which focuses on, on that and says that they would want to have 6,800 kilometers pipeline network in 2030 and 23,000 kilometers by 2040. That yeah. would bring the hydrogen market closer to what the gas market is. And then if you combine with um, storage in cell caverns so that you can uh, work with the seasonality and so on, I think it would make the market much more dynamic. Yeah, it would open up a huge part of the market that I guess isn't isn't open up open today. Um, on the, yes. the business case that you mentioned, um, are most of your projects still grant funded in some way? As you said, the, the CO2 prices aren't really there at the moment. The market mechanisms aren't there. There's lots of government programs announcing stimulus money support grants. So are the projects tending to all be grant funded or are you seeing some going ahead without, without any of that type of funding? I would say the large majority are funded and all the very large projects need to be uh, funded. Mm. Mm. Okay. However, it's usually um, the customers that uh, that get the funding, it's not us since we are just the technology provider. Yeah, yeah. And on that topic of cost, so if you look at producing hydrogen from electrolyzers today, it is quite a bit more expensive than producing it from natural gas. Um, it's potentially still more expensive than producing it with natural gas and carbon capture and storage. But you've talked about scaling up. So as you scale up, the, the costs come down. As well, the cost of renewables is falling. So you've got two cost drivers really um, going in the right direction for you. Let's look first at the production cost. So um, can you give us a feel for what your production capacity is at the moment, how quickly you're trying to increase that, and what that might do for cost? Yes, uh, if we talk about uh, electrolyzers, uh, we have production facilities in uh, Norway and the US. Uh, both the Norway and the US facility are in the range of 40-50 megawatts production capacity today. Uh, we're expanding now the Norway uh, presence to 500 megawatts and eventually 2 gigawatts. We expect a cost reduction of about 40% from, from this expansion. Um, we also see a lot more uh, cost reduction coming upwards, and we have announced an aggressive target to get to $1.5 per kilo in 2025, which would basically mean reaching grid parity with gas-based uh, hydrogen. Um, okay, so let, let's just start with those production numbers. So 50 megawatts and 40 megawatts today for your two technologies. And you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, a 25 megawatt project in Malaysia eight years ago. So a big project today can take up a big chunk of your annual capacity. Um, in terms of that scaling up to 500 megawatts and then, then two gigawatts, well, I'm going to ask a simple question. How hard is that? And I'm sure you'll tell me there's a lot to do. But um, yeah, how much is that just building block, building bigger blocks than you're working with at the moment, how much that involves new things that really take a lot of time and effort and development. How quickly can you get to those sort of numbers, do you think? We can get to that quite quickly. Uh, the technology is there, so we are ready to, to scale up. Uh, it's not uh, 
is not R&D uh, based. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. have the building blocks, as I said, and we, we can scale up. Uh, we can uh, improve the manufacturing process and uh, cut costs uh, due to scale. Yeah, okay. Um, so getting to scale quickly, that will get you a big chunk of cost reduction. Um, the $1.5 per kilogram target cost for 2025, how does that compare roughly to where you're at today in terms of uh, dollars per kilogram for hydrogen? It varies by every project uh, because sure. in the in the cost uh, of producing hydrogen, it's a small uh, share of the capex, which of course will go further down uh, as capex decreasing. It is uh, decreasing, but uh, the biggest uh, share is the electricity price and also yeah. how much you utilize the um, the installation. So if it has utilization of 40% or 98, 99%, uh, it will be very different. Uh, in this case, we're assuming a, a low electricity price, uh, $20 per megawatt hour. Yeah. Um, and um, we're assuming a high utilization. So it, it will depend on every installation. But what we want to say is that this is doable. Let's just do it. Yeah. Okay, and as a market develops, if, if think of uh, refueling stations in the mobility sector, the more vehicles you have, the more fleets you have with hydrogen vehicles, the higher the utilization. Um, or if you think of those off-grid applications, so the uh, electrolyzer directly coupled with a renewable electricity site, then you've potentially got this very low cost of electricity driving that hydrogen production. Um, okay, so scale scaling can happen relatively quickly. It can't happen overnight, but it sounds like you're working hard. Um, what Are you recruiting people from other industries that are scaled? What sort of skills do you need for that? Yes, we're recruiting people from other industries. We're attracting people from, uh, uh, I mean, we have a lot of people from solar actually already in the company. It's more by coincidence. We're attracting people from wind, from oil and gas, from different uh, end use segments. Uh, and this is uh, an industry that is growing very fast. So it's very exciting and a lot of talent is uh, interesting, interested to join, uh, which is very positive. Yeah, okay. And the biggest challenges then, um, and you, you've worked in other industries, you've worked with McKinsey's, looking at lots of other sectors. How do you see the, you know, what level of challenge and uncertainty do you see in scaling up hydrogen? Or when you look at it, do you see particular risks? Or do you think, no, this is absolutely straightforward. You know, there's a clear path, it's gonna happen. What's your observations when you step back and look at this? I'm surprised that people are still wondering, can this be done? Um, and I think we're way beyond that stage uh, to ask that. Yes, the technology is there. It was done in the past. We had large electrolysis installations in the past. It was done in other industries, for solar, for wind, for mobile telephones. <laughs> so why doubt yeah. it? Yeah, and I guess the fact that you've got no fundamental new technology that you're trying to develop, um, you've, the technology is there, it's proven, it works. Yeah, you can improve it, you've got that R&D program you talked about to, to make incremental improvements, but the technology is there, 
it looks like the market's there, certainly from the government stimulus programs. Um, and the customers, as you said, both dreamers and non-dreamers. <laughs> um, there are a lot of uh, serious customers that are uh, building the knowledge now, and I think we'll move very fast uh, in the next uh, years. And, uh, and also a lot of very competent uh, manufacturers also besides us, which are scaling up and, uh, and making things happen. So I think that's very possible. Yeah, and I guess that helps as well. It would be, in a way, nice for now if you were the only manufacturer, but there there are others out there, and that gives customers confidence that there's a um, a good supply chain out there. Yes, we we can do it. We can do 40 gigawatts in Europe. We can do several gigawatts in other parts of the world. Uh, I think uh, everybody is ready to do it. We just need to get the projects uh, rolling. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a good. Uh, segue into getting the talking new energy crystal ball out. So um, this week I want to set the dial to, to 2030 and um, we've talked a bit about green hydrogen being in early stages today. Not It's not new but it's still in early stages in terms of scale. If you look forward to 2030, imagine we're in 2030, um, can you give us a a pen portrait of what you think the green hydrogen sector will look like in 2030. And also a look at the, the two or three biggest challenges that Nell in particular will have to overcome to get there. I think um, the biggest challenge uh, that we need to overcome and everybody in this industry need to overcome um, is the cost reduction. So of course, when we scale, we cut costs, we need to deliver on that. Um, as soon as we we break even from uh, reliance on subsidies and reach a parity with uh, SMR, so gas-based hydrogen, uh, we will be in the same place where the renewables uh, are today, where you have uh, record low uh, prices and uh, no need for subsidies. Then the market is is uh, much more dynamic and uh, moving faster. I would okay. say that in, in uh, 10 years, uh, we should have several electrolyzer manufacturers with gigawatt-scale production facilities. We should have several um, hundred megawatts plus or even gigawatt-scale projects uh, in operation. Um, and everybody should have hydrogen as part of their plans when they, uh, every country that uh, kind of reassesses the, the energy infrastructure or the energy plans will more and more uh, see hydrogen as an integral part of that. So you, you gave some metrics earlier on comparing green hydrogen or electrolyzer market today to the wind market and the solar market, wind around 60 gigawatts, solar over 100 gigawatts. By 2030, hydrogen in the the single digits of gigawatts, or the, I guess in the tens of gigawatts, would be your vision for 2030? Yes, probably. Yeah, yeah. So not yet at the wind and solar level, because they've had a, a big head start on hydrogen, but uh, getting close to some, or yeah, getting close to some of the scale that we see today for, for those technologies, or certainly getting closer to those scales. Yes, and that's why I said that uh, even though we say we're 10 years behind solar and wind, when I looked at the numbers, actually it's probably more than <laughs> 10 years, 15, 20 years, uh, to be honest. But uh, 
who knows? Uh, green hydrogen might surprise everyone. Well, that's what makes the energy transition so so fascinating. It's got so many parts to it, and uh, it's uh, you can see the general direction, but the specifics uh, will play out over the next next years, the next decade. Um, Raluca, that's been uh, a fascinating conversation. Um, it sounds like there's no shortage of activity for a company like Nell today, but no shortage of things to do and scale to build over the next years. So thanks for sharing your, your perspectives, your experiences, and good luck over the next years as you scale up and make a bigger and bigger impact in the energy transition. Thanks very much. Thank you, and it was nice talking to you. It's always exciting to talk about hydrogen and energy. I kind of fell in love with energy, I think about 14 years ago, the first time I, I figured out how energy is transported, electricity, and uh, kind of stuck with me. <laughs> well, you're in the right job then. Um, thanks again, and thanks to everyone for listening. We hope you found that uh, an interesting episode and look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks and Thank goodbye. You. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcasts and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.